Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world. We will. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about blockchain and its use in shipping, logistics, and supply chain management. And I'm very grateful to have Martin Tyson here from the Port of Rotterdam. He looks after digital strategy, transformation, new business, and blockchain. So a lot to cover in today's show. Martin, to start with, tell us how you started working with blockchain. As a, as a Port of Rotterdam, we have always been on the forefront of innovation and, and having new thoughts and ideas. And that, that goes back, I think, to from the early days of the port. Uh, also, uh, when the container was introduced in the 70s, one of the key people here in the port went around in the port area trying to figure out how this, this new container thing, is it something for us, do we need to something to do with it? So we've all, uh, just as an example, now we have a whole innovation team at one of our former facilities where we do everything around innovation, startups, scale-ups, just really trying to get an innovation mindset in the port. Uh, I think within the Netherlands, Rotterdam is, is an area where there's a lot of hands-on mentality, if you wish. So that leads to a sort of entrepreneurial mindset in the port. And with that, we explore all new opportunities actively uh, in different fields. And the part of digitalization that is, uh, that is blockchain, as well as other technologies. So it, it's really something that we feel we need to do as port, not only for ourselves, but also for the port community to stay innovative, to stay on top of the ball and to be, uh, to stay relevant. And, and that, of course, in these days goes quicker and quicker. So you need to really be aware of, of what you're doing and, 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 and play there. So there's a big there's a big competitive angle to this, which is saying Port of Rotterdam needs to at least be as capable as its as nearest competitors. But actually, there's an intent to be ahead, which I think is obviously sort of true of most industries. Can I ask, in terms of your first experience with blockchain, when you first read an article or you first started to spin up a project, tell me your first experience working with blockchain. My own personal first experience was, of course, uh, with, the, with the rise of uh, blockchain and Bitcoin kind of thing. What is this transfer of assets? Interesting. Uh, that was more of the personal and then the personal interest for me came up. What can you do with transfer of an asset decentralized without authorities? And then we already started BlockLab before I joined uh, Port Rotterdam. So then there was sort of a match and, and me being in, in the commercial department and being doing sort of new business development, getting from the market all this buzz around blockchain technology, what's it going to be for useful for in logistics uh, and having a block lab for me, there was sort of a, a match where I teamed up with block lab and say, what are you guys doing? How can we really take this one step ahead? And what do I need to do uh, within the port of Rotterdam to get this on the agenda? So it was, it was coming from a personal interest. And then we had already uh, sort of really a lab environment. And, and, and that came together when I brought that into the Port of Rotterdam to get it on the agenda. So when you joined, there was already a team focused on blockchain and blockchain capability when you arrived. Yeah, yeah. So that it, it, I didn't start it, unfortunately. No, so that, that credit goes to, I think, to, to Yoshia and Joost, who are the, the, the founders of BlockLab, who basically saw a lot of potential for blockchain technology in logistics and any transition. They wrote a position paper on that. And that was about three years ago. I need to check that. So it, it's sort of at, at the rise with enterprise blockchain kind of capabilities. I picked it up out of a personal interest and, and, and together we brought that one step further. 
And so from a commercial perspective, what do you see as the value of blockchain or distributed ledgers or decentralized technology within ports, within logistics, within supply chain? What do you see as the key commercial benefits? I can answer this question in, in multiple ways. Um, I think it, it's important to understand that a port, we facilitate trade. So the only thing we do, we are a landlord model, we lease out land and we get port use from, from visiting ships. And th that business is because they're straight flowing through Rotterdam. So we basically exist by the trade facilitation. Um, the better we do that, the better the port will be able to have efficient operations, the more cargo will attract. So just from that perspective is how we traditionally look at the market. Of course, with new technologies come new business opportunities, new possible business models, possible new revenue streams. But it's important to understand that as a port, we are facilitator of trade. We are not actively engaged in, in logistics activities. So we are not in it primarily to have a commercial business model where we will operate logistics. We really see this as a facilitation and what can it bring? The true value to me is lowering the cost of trust, uh, is transparency, is having, knowing what's coming, when it's coming, where it's going, where it's originating from, uh, and all the, all the paper flow around it. That primarily will lead to efficiency gains. And that, of course, global logistics, it's, it's still done the way it, it's done 500 years ago, where you need all kind of middlemen to get goods from A to B and to arrange stuff for you, which you at that time didn't know because the world was pretty small. But we basically, those principles are still in place and we now have technologies and globalization in place where you actually, it's no longer supply chain, supply network. So you can really, really make a difference with having decentralized validated data, basically. Does that make sense if I say that? Absolutely. And so some of the pain points you're trying to take away are sort of lack of transparency. You're looking to digitize some of those processes. You're looking to disintermediate some of the people who are there to provide verification. Yes and no. So we, we are not here to disintermediate anybody involved in logistics because that's not on in our interest. What we want is as efficient possible supply chain globally uh, and ideally in Rotterdam because that's then the competitive advantage, but it, it will happen globally. There is then uh, a disintermediation as a result of that, possibly, but that's up to the market what they do with that validated data. That's not up to us. So what we do is we go out into the market, into the, the shippers and the forwarders and the carriers and ask for what they need in their supply chain. And if they all tell us it's transparency and trust, it's reliability, and if we can find ways with a technology, being it blockchain or any other, to provide that to the market, then we'll do that. And then it's up to the market to build business, business on that. Also, our blockchain, uh, our biggest blockchain effort in, in logistics is called Deliver. Uh, and basically what it does, it's, it's a sort of blockchain-based notary that distributes validated data. It doesn't keep data, it only uh, it hashes and it keeps a bit of metadata to keep it trackable, but it only distributes validated data. The data stays with the owner. With the output, you can fill an endless opportunity of applications on top of that notary, on top of deliver. But that's up to the market. So we are not in the business of setting applications. We will not do uh, track and trace solutions, or we will not do bill of lading solutions, or we will not, because then we are actively engaging in supply chains, which from our port authority role is not what we want to do. We, we only facilitate. If then there's parties that don't adapt to the new world and others do. And because of that, there is a disintermediation taking place. 
yeah, then that's that's a market effect. Very good. So, I mean, that's quite clear in terms of your mandate. So in order to deliver something like that, no pun intended, to launch your platform or to be able to to bring that technology through, you're obviously having to work with others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. So this is, not, this is of course, nothing you can do on your own. I think you don't only see it in blockchain. I mean, it's the beauty of decentralization, but in all other areas, that's also how innovation works for us, being it in blockchain or in, in 3D printing or in AI. We all do these things in co-creation. So we work with partners. Uh, it starts all with a coalition of the willing and the use case, uh, where we just start basically looking, hey, is, is there a problem that needs to be fixed? So we're not going to design a solution and, and then look for a problem. No, we're going to add it. The more the, the, that way you look for a problem with a coalition, we start, hey, can we fill the solution? Then are, are there actually customers or users of the solution? So uh, you do a proof of concept. Once that's in place, yeah, then you go to your, your, your MVP, your minimal viable product or platform. And of course, then you come into the terms of, of governance. How do we position it? Do we keep it ourselves as Port of Rotterdam? No, it's a co-creation. So then it's probably going to be from a collaboration needs to go into a, a spin-out, a real separate entity. And how do you then govern that, keeping in mind that it can be a commercial organization in itself so that it can uh, have, have a have a business case underneath. But still, it needs to be neutral and facilitating into the trade. If, of course, we discover a business opportunity whereby we can see a commercial model for the port and, and, and look into possible new revenue streams, then we will always consider that and maybe set it in a different entity or as a spin-out and take shares just to not compromise our neutral role in the, in the supply chain. So it's, it's not necessarily saying that we're not looking into new business opportunities, but do we then keep it as, for ourselves as Port of Rotterdam or do we set it up together with other partners or do we as it as a spin out that's all depending on what the outcome of the business model is and does it fit with what we legally can do and what we in our terms of our, our new neutral role want to do very clear and i'd love to double click on the deliver platform for a little bit if we can yeah sure. who else were you working with on that particular platform who else have you collaborated with so samsung sds which is the logistics and it company of the samsung group basically and ABN AMRO, the Dutch bank, whereby we found each other sort of by coincidence, whereby we as Port of Rotterdam via BlockLab were thinking about uh, blockchain-based solutions for, uh, for the, in the energy transition and smart grids. And they were thinking from ABN AMRO, hey, but this technology can also really change the way we do trade financing because of the, of the nature of uh, asset transferring. At the same time, in Korea, uh, Samsung SDS uh, was building a cello that's their blockchain-based uh, trade platform for Korea. But in global trade, you need also a receiving end if you can build your own blockchain community. But, but if then goods leave that community and nobody else is picking up. So we found each other. And of course, we know Samsung SDS very well from the Korea to Rotterdam trade. ABN Amer also knows Samsung. And out of that, we basically came up with, hey, you are doing something on trade financing, we facilitate trade, and you guys have a ecosystem and goods that needs to be transferred. Can we think of a use case whereby we yeah, go into this collaboration? Can we set up on the Korea to Rotterdam trade a sort of neutral platform that distributes its validated data on goods that are flowing? So we get visibility, traceability, and transparency. And at the same time, with that, can we then think of alternative ways of trade financing it? So we, we got a problem and we, we start thinking, hey, can we think of a solution? And then we started building a, a proof of concept. 
And where are you at now on the Deliver platform? So I think one of the first trades was completed. How have you got on in that journey? Yeah, so that, that's always a challenge. I think the good thing is that we really worked from a problem point of view and not tried to do what we've always done digitally. So we really came up with a blank sheet of paper. Okay, what's the problem? How can we fix it? And didn't try to commercialize it or try to do the, the way we do business now. Just bring that digitally and see what technology can do. No, really started from a blank sheet. So we really have got something different. And then all three parties are open to investigating new ways. So there's not one dominant party that wants to protect its business or its way of working. It's really, okay, we see an opportunity. What can we do? Or we see a problem. What, what solution can we fix? Then you come, of course, into the part where you start doing your first pilot shipments. Really keep it basic. Keep it simple. Build infrastructure that can support a few pilots and let the success show. That's, that, that's the most important part. Uh, and then bring that to your stakeholders. Uh, of course, it works if they, uh, we, we don't compete in any way. So there's absolute trust in each other. That's very important. And of course, you need to have a bit of senior management buy-in. Uh, so you need the corporate mindset of innovation and wanting to try and fail and not ha having to report on every, every, every penny spent on why it failed, just for the sake of trying and learning, do some stuff. And that will then bring you to a result. I'm not saying that everything went well the first time. We've got, of course, a lot of technical hiccups uh, because well, we, we needed to make a, a Ethereum and a Hyperledger protocol interoperable. There's all kinds of things that then go, go wrong if you start tracking containers and you lose them out of sight and transshipments happen or not. But uh, let's not go there. So it's really starting work together, experience together, and every day a small step ahead until you've got success. And then show that success, celebrate that success so that people actually get the idea, hey, something's happening here, something tangible. Thank you very much for sharing the learnings. And I was really interested in something you said there around actually you're working with both Ethereum and Hyperledger at the same time. Now, I know you're not the technical architect on the program, so let's not go too deep. But actually, how did the requirement for having those two different protocols working together come about? Also, that was really practical. Uh, the, the, Korean, the Korean ecosystem was built, I believe, on Hyperledger, and we were on Ethereum. So we're not going to design something from scratch. Let's see. And in the future, there will be a need for interoperability. Technically, everything's possible in, in my mind. So we also said that we're not going to design something based on one protocol because in the future, there will always be multiple protocols, multiple platforms that we need to be able to interact with. So we, we better design it in that way that we're capable of doing that and that we really flexible to be adaptive to change. If we now set ourselves to a closed protocol one system where everybody understands. It would have probably been easier, but it wouldn't be future-proof. And you would also sort of start locking yourself and your future customers in, in one particular system. And that, again, is not what we want to achieve with the interoperability and the, and the trade facilitation. So immediately you're thinking beyond just, obviously you said start simple, but actually at the same time you're thinking about how do we make this applicable to anybody using the different types of blockchain protocols at this point in time? Yeah, yeah. And I think this particular blockchain is still in its early days, I believe. The state of technology is only getting better and better and it speeds up. So who knows what the capabilities will be in one or two years. So if you're now design your solution on one uh, just with one focus in mind, being it making money or being it technically on one protocol or being it on one niche area, that might be a short-term, very, very positive 
use case, but in the long term, you will probably need to adjust. And then you sort of stick to your legacy, being it your governance or your, your technical part. So you need to have an open mindset. What do we want to do? We want to facilitate trade. And as best as you can, work with that in the, in the, in the back of your mind, really pragmatic on small steps. That's great. And it's, it's impressive to see that you had the vision to say, we know this or we have, we have something that has the potential to go big. We're going to start small but we're, we're going to make sure that it's as open as possible. I wonder, are, are there any other specific learnings or things that you wish you'd known at the beginning or, or things you would recommend to anybody else trying a, a similar initiative? Yeah, so I think the, the most important learnings are in, in, in the, is, is your stakeholder management. Like I said earlier, have, have that mindset of, of what you want to achieve, sort of a vision in the end, and not pin yourself to a, a short-term thing, really be flexible, but have a thought of where you want to go and talk to a lot of people inside your industry so you understand the industry that you're uh, the, the problem that you that you try to tackle and of course that's the beauty of the consortium we have now where we have us in in supply chain samsung really into as a shipper and the logistics part but also the technical part and abn amro coming from a financing perspective within a consortium we have already very different views on trade and what's happening what's evolving and then go beyond that and go outside and talk to every everybody that's doing something or even not in trade. I do a lot of talking with fintechs or in the whole part of the asset management blockchain base that's coming up. You can learn so much from those kind of business ideas they have. And is it applicable to us? Yes, no. Just I really believe in co-creation. And then pick what's right, try it, fail and try again. Brilliant. And I definitely want to talk more about the emerging domains, digital assets, your collaborations in, in a little while. But something you said as, as you went through the example there is that the Block Lab have been a big part of your journey and the capability that, that you guys have. Yeah. Tell me more yeah, about yeah. the team. Tell me more about but what does the Block Lab do? So Block Lab is our blockchain entity. Uh, it really started as a, as a lab environment uh, where we wanted to put the technology into practice. Right? There's a lot of talks and there's a lot of ideas, but nobody really moves beyond proof of concepts. Uh, so we wanted really to put it in practice. We've got two big strategic teams coming at us in the, in the next decade. That's the NND transition, uh, where we have a big challenge uh, for the port area. Uh, and that's the digitalization that's, that's going to change the way we trade. So these are two strategic topics that we need to look into. And we do that with BlockLab, but we also do that with with other lab environments that we have uh, on AI, on 3D printing, on Port Excel, our, our scale-up program. Uh, but particularly for BlockLab in energy transition, you see, of course, with transferring of assets, you can really go into smart grids and smart contracts using for smart grid and how you distribute energy in the port area or, or on other parts. So that's some area where we, where we actively have, have a couple of use cases. And then logistics, uh, like, I, like I said just now, that's traditionally... Uh, run based on in transparency and, and middlemen and authorities because we don't trust each other. Yeah, that's precisely the principle that blockchain technology can fundamentally change. So that's what Alyosha and Jan Joost saw. They wrote a position paper and then they got funding to start working on small use cases. That was now three years ago. We have now in total, I think, eight use cases with two or three really moving into MVP. So we're actually doing stuff. Yeah, and then okay, how can we have a discussion? Is BlockLab still a lab environment or are they, are they moving on as well? That, that's, of course, also something that's growing organically. Yeah, it feels like obviously a good number of use cases there, but certainly with Deliver. And I'd love to talk about the energy transfer case as well. It, it feels like there's definitely a scale-up story coming soon. 
Yeah, for, well, for the energy transition, you'll need to talk to Jan Joost. Might be an interesting uh, guy to talk to for another podcast if you really go into a specific use case on energy. Now, for the liver, we are. And then, like I said, we've done the proof of concept. So we're now moving into a live environment that, of course, brings some new challenges in technical infrastructure, in commercial. So how are we going to do the business modeling so that the platform can run itself, but the producers and the consumers on the platform have a positive business case? And governance-wise is how gonna, are we going to go from a collaboration to a, a spin-out or a, a separate entity that can then run its own business. And we're in the process of setting it up. Uh, it's moving pretty good, pretty fast. I must say we, we will not come out with a big bang or having that. We really do that organically. And I think the beauty of how we did it is that we, from the pilots, spoke to a lot of companies in doing actual trade, but also uh, being producers on the platform. So they will use the validated data to provide solutions for the users. So we've now got a nice community around the proof of concept of the liver that, is, that we're really working together with on going live. And that, that's about to happen somewhere this year. Uh, I really can't say when, uh, because we are tackling the, these three issues at a time, but it's moving forward. And we've, we've got some very enthusiastic consumers, the shippers and the forwarders and the carriers, but also the providers of applications already on board and looking forward to make it an extra success. But uh, it, it's very complicated. You're talking global trade and trade financing. So it's always keeping the balance of, of making small steps and making it a success versus going out with a big bang and then having all the, the, the issues that come with that. Because in the end, it's still three corporates that we also need to internally manage. Uh, we never done this before, neither three of us. So we're also learning. So it's a small steps, but we're making small steps every day. And in the end, I believe that will bring us further than that you just design something for yourself with one partner uh, based on your current model and go out with a big bang. Very good. And it's impressive to see that you're building the ecosystem as you go along. As a strategist, as, as somebody who's written a, a fair few business cases in his time, I'm really interested in the commercial model. Now, I don't want to talk about any sensitivities or anything like that. But in terms of the assumptions or some of the data points that you've had to put into your commercial case, what have been some of the ones that you've had the most sort of challenge with or the ones that have taken you the most time? The time-consuming part is that you need to explain what we're doing to everybody. So first, you need to find your users of that data, your shippers, forwarders, or your providers of, of applications on that data. Then you need to probably have explained them what blockchain is, although we try to stay away from that as far as we can because it's just a technology that enables the solution, right? If you buy a new car, you probably know whether it's a diesel, a, a gas, or an electric car but you don't start asking the guy how the electric motor works. For us, that's the same with, with blockchain, right? It, this is what it can do, but in order to use it, you don't need to understand the full technical details. I mean, I, I don't even do. Uh, but you need one or two meetings. Then you start talking about the possibilities. Then you, hey, this is interesting for my finance guy. This is interesting for my supply chain guy. This is interesting for my uh, senior management. So you, you, it really takes a lot of meetings and community building before you can actually discuss the pain points and the, and, the, and the potential upsides. And that's what you need for your business case and for their business case. So that's a time-consuming process. That's, I think, on the time part. What key data points, I think, like I said, for deliver, it's really that it doesn't hold data. It just distributes validated data. That's a USP that you need to explain. And what are people 
then willing to pay for that, you only can make that tangible if you have applications running. So you need to show them a GPS, a, a tracking solution or a ECMR solution or a, a trade financing solution. So you already show them sort of possible applications and then they can make it tangible and say, okay, if I have this visibility, then that will really mean this and this and this to my business. And that, of course, we then validate in interviews and in pilots uh, like you like you do that with any normal business case. That brings then up a upside for the users of the applications. If you've got users, then you can probably have providers of applications who can then attract a new number of customers via the platform. And then it's basically a traditional platform model. Uh, yeah, and in the end, you need to think of a way on how can you as a platform sustain yourself. And that I think is also really important. The delivery is not out there to make the most amount of money for itself because the, the notary function is really there to facilitate trade. Although it's interesting that people want that, that, that entity to be commercial because you could also say, hey, that's something for a non-profit. Uh, no people want it to be commercial slightly so that it keeps evolving and, and innovating. Uh, but it's it's the key to find a positive business model for your platform uh, or your solution, and then also for the users, being it the end users or the providers. But it's traditional platform thinking, right? I hear you, and it's always interesting to see my clients moving from a model of saying we're in traditional business A, or you know we're a port, we're in a, a business of, uh, like you said, you know, leasing out space, moving things around. Yeah. We're actually now we're trying to create a software business. And for people who haven't worked in software or who haven't worked in companies whose, whose business is digital, actually, it's a very different model of thinking. You have to think about very different yeah. assumptions. The pricing can be different. Are you talking yeah. about subscriptions? Are you talking about transaction fees? It's definitely a strategic change. That's what you need to then validate with, 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 with everybody, but also what you don't need to, to, to stick yourself too hard to because it can be a subscription model now, but be different next year, right? That's also something that you need to keep in mind to suit the needs of the markets. And that requires a lot of internal stakeholder management. I cannot really talk for ABN Amro or Samsung, but particularly for Border Rotterdam, because it's a completely new way of thinking as what we've traditionally done, where we build key roles with 30-year business cases. This is something that we don't really know. We know something's there. We've got proof that people want to pay something, but don't know in which way, shape, or form. And that you need to then bring to the board table and say, guys, this is something that we need to investigate and show them small steps, but still paint the big picture at the end. And that's, of course, very difficult because you don't know what the end picture will look like. The only thing is that we say, no, we are a port and our business model is no longer just building key walls, leading out land and providing safe passage. Our business is basically facilitating trade any way, shape or form. And with that being the underlying principle for a port, that's how we then start uh, looking into solutions. And uh, along the way, we then decide whether a application that we that we've launched is still fits that model or not if it's going commercial but it starts interfering with our neutral role then we need to put it away at arm's length or sell it or i don't know whatever or maybe just say hey deliver is so close to uh, what we try to do with trade facilitation we need to find partners being at other ports or trade hubs or airports or i don't know you can think of whatever and with a coalition of willing start owning deliver so that the more commercial parties as banks or logistics service providers get more trust in the underlying platform, right? So there, there's all things that you need to keep thinking about. I wonder as you go through some of those conversations, what, what were the, some of the most surprising questions or the most unexpected questions that you received from some of your senior stakeholders as you were trying to pitch the idea? 
uh, that, that goes from all of the, all over. That, that's I mean, and that's the interesting of being in port, right? We are such a diverse company where we have to do with asset management of our own port, with port development, but also environmental management around the port. We have to do. We are there for the people living in the port, working in the port area. So you get really a lot of different perspectives from your different senior management. Uh, what does one of the questions you just asked is from 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 a HR perspective? What will this do for the people and the, and the skills in, in the future that we need in the port? From asset management point of view, hey, we are doing something with smart infra and sensoring and digital twins. If we provide this principle, can we then distribute that data also to our users? And how does that work? So it's it's really diverse and. It's tough because you need to think of so many things, but if you go into it with an open discussion and open mind, you can also learn a lot from the actual issues that are out there and, and, and learn from it. Very good. And that was a great segue as you started talking about other technologies, because I think oftentimes people think about blockchain as a technology in isolation. We'll do a blockchain project and it'll use blockchain and that's yeah, all can, we can, do. Can, can I have a blue one? Or yeah, one? exactly. You know, what, what flavor of blockchain would you like? <laughs> when people think of it in complete isolation or completely you know, separate to any of the other existing technologies or other exponential technologies that we might have at our disposal. And obviously Port of Rotterdam is investing in a lot of digitization and emerging technology programs. Where do you see there being an interlink between some of the other technologies that you're working with? Um, we start, most of them with the technology part, we start really pretty isolated in, in sort of lab environments and then do community building. And from that, new ideas emerge. Yeah, so uh, we, we've got 3D printing lab. We, we, we're working on AI. Uh, we're working on blockchain. We're working on, on the whole digital twin part. Uh, 5G is, is, is coming up already. Well, quantum computing is a bit further out, but I'm I'm already screaming inside here in, in the in the building that it's something that we need to watch, and then it's, it's it's bringing them together. And I think the true potential, as with most things, is if you take the best learnings from everything and put that together, right? If if you combine blockchain with AI and the connectivity that 5G can provide, imagine the possibilities. So you need to daydream a bit about that, and at the same time translate it back into your use cases and hey. We've got now the liver. Uh, what possible things can we do with AI? And are we going to do it our own or are we going to do it in an AI lab or are we going to do it with another partner that's really good at AI and bring them to the table and see what we can learn? So it's really about community building and co-creation. But we have a focus on starting small, pragmatic and then bringing it together. I think that's a really interesting segue. And a term you mentioned in there was digital twins. And that's something that I think gets mentioned an awful lot in and around blockchain in terms of digital twins of assets, digital twins of vehicles, machines. But I suspect in the port yeah. of Rotterdam, that's actually a much greater or much broader term. Uh, yes, we've started to build a digital twin of the port purely from an asset management point of view already. Eh? We have, I don't know how many kilometers of keyword that we need to dredge or that we need to, that, that we need to maintain. Uh, if you can plan that based on censoring on your digital twin, and you can add uh, the, the dimension of time to, your, to the other ones and the predictive maintenance, that's a huge business case in itself just for the Port of Rotterdam uh, as a company. Uh, but if you can use that data also to facilitate supply chains by doing it, port call optimization, plannings, I don't know, you can think of whatever. That's where the, where, where, the, where the true power is in. So we are really going into a smart port. And, and that's, like I said, we're not doing that alone. We're doing that with the companies in the port, doing a, a lot of censoring, uh, uh, building a digital twin 
yeah, and that then we we will bring that together with what we're doing in supply chain facilitation and, and our platform play efforts. Very good. So you're then able to generate machine-driven data or sensor-driven data in the port that can help give you kind of signals, give you information from which you can optimize. Yeah. So there you 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 can predict when you need to do your planning. You can uh, you, you design keywords based on a certain expected lifetime and, and you and usability and pressure points. I don't know if, if that's heavier over a couple of, of years or less. That sort of influences the lifespan, which is something that you, from an asset management perspective, want to know and then be able to use. But you can also put that into your trade, uh, your trade facilitation part, where you can work with your partners or your uh, your users on how they then use it and make the port more efficient. You can start predicting, and if you then put machine learning on it and AI, it would be very interesting if you put the weather systems of the past 40 years in it. What does that do? The, the, the possibilities are endless. We need a digital twin also to be ready for autonomous ships, which are coming. Uh, we have a Captain AI program uh, where we have the first autonomous trials in the port area already. Fascinating. So you're getting the, the real-time information, you're getting predictive analytics on t- timings, lead times, what that means in terms of demurrage or in terms of you know, turnaround times that can help others optimize their supply chains at the same yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not all full-fledged and ready, but that, that's what we're working towards, right? You already see uh, the, the next thing, drones. It's also something that's really interesting to look at. How can you supply ships? But in order to have a safe drone environment, you need a lot of sensors. So at the same time, we're looking at all these opportunities, and the trick is not doing too much, but do the right things. It, it's pretty cool, and it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's, it's, a, it's a real awesome playground, a, a board area, uh, where you have so many uh, factors in place and really... An industry that is ready, I wouldn't say, well, for disruption maybe, but on a, with a positive note, that really willing to change the way that they work, at least in, in the Rotterdam port area. And that's a, that's a great asset to have. I'm genuinely convinced you might have one of the most enjoyable jobs in the world, Martin. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, most of the time. I'm, I'm sure there's some hard work that goes with it too, but genuinely the opportunity to work in an environment like that where you've got an organization that's prepared and interested to understand the potential of technology, but to address specific problems and also to expand the ecosystem in terms of the number of partners or the number of parties that your technology is able to influence. I think it sounds like that's not just innovating within your own space, that's actually driving the industry as well. Yeah, yeah. well, we, we set out, with, uh, we have the ambition to be the smartest port. And, and it's something that we truly want to be or aspire to be and that we're working towards. And we, we really understand what, that we cannot do that alone because it's global trade. You need your partners. You need to learn from industry that's there. You need to learn from technology. So it's, and at the same time, we are not in it for the commercial short term, which also makes it more difficult because you do everything with co-creation. You need to manage a lot of stakeholders. But in the end, I think it, it will bring us further and hope other ports and players uh, tag along. I think that's really important. If you can set the example, if you can demonstrate what's technically feasible or what can be brought into production, others can then say, well, I want one of those. It's not that I have to break yeah. my back to figure it all out myself. I can go and talk to Martin. I can go and talk to Block Lab, and we can accelerate our journey because yeah. someone else has, has laid the road before us. Yeah, but that, that will have always been a sort of co-creation, right? Because we, we will not sell you a blue blockchain or a, a, a red captain AI. That's simply not possible. So I think, I think, and that's something that you see happening in the market now as well, that where people thought, hey, we're going to wait for these technologies, being it AI or blockchain, wait till it's a bit more mature and then we'll buy our way in, where the, the real success stories are more really in the co-creation part. It takes a bit longer, but it, it, it will bring you further. 
That's a really nice observation. I want to go into something you said earlier about fintech and digital assets, because I'd love to get your perspective on this. Obviously, sort of digital twins, assets, being able to create new sources of funding, being able to do clearing and settlement more efficiently are all domains in which blockchain mm-hmm. is working. But I'd love your specific yeah. perspective on what kind of discussions are you having around digital assets or what is, what is, where does that interest you? For, for us, um, and then I'm, I'm sticking to the logistics part, the financing part of logistics, again, is not something a business for the port. It's really for the finance ecosystem. You see that there is a combination of a physical stream of, let's say, containers and a financial stream that goes backwards with all kinds of agreements in between, authorities in between and paperwork in between that will trigger a next step. With blockchain, you can bring that into one validated truth instantly. So, and then with smart contracts, you can sort of automate trade finance if you wish. That's not our business. That's me just thinking about the possibilities that I see here. And, and we work with everybody involved. So being at financial institutions or shippers that need trade financing to understand that issue and the opportunities and bring, bring those people to the table and co-create yeah, because that's our role. Uh, to facilitate trade for sure and i think you're quite lucky in netherlands that you've actually got quite a an expansive ecosystem both around finance around yeah. trade and around technology yeah yeah and then, and, 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 and that's it right and then of course the being not a commercial party because we are the port brings us in a in a really nice position to facilitate and co-create and that i think is a key to success because then you sort of trust each other and start looking into opportunities but if you just think of how trade is done from a container and a funding is released based on your INCO terms and your proof of delivery. But if you already know fund where it's going, what's happening, and with a smart contract, you can automatically trigger payments and the risk profile is reduced so you can insure it completely differently. What does that do for your for your cash position, right? And if, if we all agree that that's a good idea and we think of a solution and we all yeah make, make the world a better place now i sound a bit holistic but uh, some deep words martin that's some deep words (laughs) (laughs) yeah but we we can all benefit yeah and i think that that's the learning on the ecosystem approach with blockchain is saying that we're not doing it to to gain a particular advantage individually we're going to try and mutualize the cost mutualize the benefit because working working you don't get to achieve the benefit if you don't work together and if you do then you manage to share the benefit as well yeah, and I think I landed that again, and I'm repeating myself, but as port, we are facilitating and everybody that trades through the port or via the port, uh, and in the end, the global trade affects us all, needs to share the benefits. So if you, if you go out there with one solution just for your own benefit, I don't think you'll make it in the end. That's really good advice. On the topic of advice, and before we close the show, I wanted to get your guidance or your your advice to anybody who's looking to work with blockchain technology or anybody who's interested in the space, particularly supply chain or logistics. What's some of the guidance that you would give to people as they're coming into looking at working with blockchain? You need to understand the principles of blockchain and what it can do, I think. Not so much the technical part, uh, or that must be your interest in, because there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of need for for developers and those kind of things. We actually are, are going to build uh, stuff, but from a business perspective, you, ha- you need to have a healthy interest. I think in what it can do, have a broad mindset and talk to a lot of people, read a lot, talk a lot, and then and just think of what it can do. Think in think in possibilities, and don't focus only on blockchain, because I think a lot of blockchain hyped solutions out there are only 10% of what they provide is really tailored toward blockchain and where it adds value. The rest is just 
business as usual, you use other technologies. Um, so don't think of blockchain as a solution for everything. Really understand what it can do and try to find a solution for that and build it from there. And don't think, hey, this is everything. Or it, It's going with an open mindset, talk to a lot of people, understand the core principles, and then start looking for solutions and discuss with a lot of people. And of course, it helps if you understand uh, supply chain management or global trade or trade financing, because those areas will, will come together and any of those expertises needs each other. Very good. Thank you for that. And I'm interested to help connect our community with the work that you're doing. So tell us, how can people find you or how can people find out more about the work that Port of Rotterdam's doing or the Block Lab? You know, how can people connect with you? Uh, well, they, they can find me on LinkedIn. So that's, that, that's me personally. And I think on, uh, on Block Lab has its own website. Maybe we can link, the, link them in the podcast on, on LinkedIn. And same goes for Port of Rotterdam. Just reach out. And I think for blockchain-based, really, uh, BlockLab is your, is your best, uh, best entry point. Or myself, the Port of Rotterdam itself has, has a good website where we, where we share our connected ports vision or what we, how we look at digitalization. Yeah, just reach out. Happy, happy, happy to share thoughts and discuss. Brilliant. It's as simple it's as, as that. It's as simple as that. And, and anything else exciting going on? Have you got any events coming up? What else is going on in your life in the next weeks and months? For me personally, I'll be, so I'm saying reach out to me via LinkedIn, but uh, I'm going to go on a sabbatical with my family for four and a half months as of next Sunday, if all goes according to plan and no, uh, no, no Corona will interrupt plans. But uh, so I'll be out of office for a while. That's me personally having some time off with, uh, with my two uh, daughters for four and, and two years old and my wife traveling the world and making memories. And then I'm, I'm back in August. And in the meantime, yeah, we, we just continue what, what we're doing. I think, like I said, delivery is moving along very nicely. Uh, and, and somewhere by the end of this year, it will be truly a live environment. So keep your eyes open for communication about that. Uh, but I can't, I really don't know the time yet. Um, but that's, that's according to plan. Any transition going on, yeah, event-wise, it's a bit quiet. We love to travel the world and, and share thoughts, but uh, that's a bit restricted now. Uh, so we have to do that digitally. But I think if you're really on the short term want to know more, just connect with BlockLab and uh, Alyosha Bai is logistics leads and he's more than happy to begin to. Uh, Deliver, you can also find online, deliver.community. Uh, reach out to uh, to the team uh, and they're also more than happy to discuss and share thoughts. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Martijn. Thank you for all the information you shared. Thank you for the guidance. Thank you for telling us more about the great work that you're doing. Have safe travels. I hope you enjoy the time off. It sounds like it's well-deserved. I hope that the events that are going on around the world currently don't interrupt any of the exciting journey that you're on and looking forward to seeing you when you come back. Yeah, thank you very much, Anthony, and uh, looking forward to, uh, to seeing you soon. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests. If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain-related content. And until next time, stay safe out there.